It's still the Yogi Misfit Sessions. I'm still Danny Pomploon. Welcome to the show. So if you're listening to the summer series, you've made it so far through uh, all of it. Today is session four of uh, this summer series, and I have Allison on the show, and she dives in on meditation. More importantly, the way that she dives into the meditation on this one is more an, an intuitive meditation, which I thought was really cool. She had a really, really, really good amount of wisdom to share. I found myself kind of dozing off and just being like, yes, that, that too, that too. Um, at a really great time enjoying her on the show. I personally am a huge fan of meditation. It's been a big part of my practice. Um, I'm actually doing a little meditation training at the end of this year, which I'm super excited about uh, with a teacher named Kia Miller. If you guys don't know her, look her up. She's probably uh, like, she's mind blowing. She's amazing. You got to check her out. Um, thank you guys for sticking with us through the summer series. It's been super fun to do this. Shut Up and Yoga has been just so awesome. If you haven't checked out their publication, go check it out. They are an awesome online magazine. Uh, you're not going to find the simple, like basic writing stuff of like five tips for your abs or any of that stuff, but they tend to dive into topics and subjects that a lot of people won't discuss or necessarily don't want to discuss. And, and that's why I'm, I'm all about them. Um, it's been really fun to partner with them. The writers are amazing. Everyone that's been on the show has just been super great and super rad. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really, really great to do this partnership with them. Of course, I have to remind you that if you love the podcast, and I'm sure you do, that's why you're listening to it. It is super helpful to go to iTunes and tell us how much you love the show. Because when you tell us how much you love the show, the show spreads out to all of your friends. I say this every single show. So please help out. Um, and then just one quick thing too. I know I've been talking about it, but the uh, New Year's is happening not too far away. Yes, you are at the end of July, so it's not too far away. And I've got a retreat with Rocky Heron. Uh, we're going down to Mexico, Todos Santos, five days, bring in the new year, let go of the past, bring in a sweet, sweet practice. Um, so if you want to sign up for that, you can check out the show notes below. There are a few spots left and we would love to have you. Yeah. What are you up to? It's end of summer. Can you believe it? End of summer is happening. That means that the year is halfway gone. Wanted to let y'all know about an online program called Unleash the Priestess Within and Thrive. It's hosted by a yoga teacher, uh, Nicole Doherty, who is a 500-hour ERYT teacher at YogaWorks. She's also a teacher trainer. She's a Reiki master. She's a life coach. She does breath work. And she's a shamanistic uh, Reiki practitioner. She runs retreats and workshops and has been for the last decade. So this program is a highly customized, integrative online coaching and personal healing program. And it combines ancient wisdom from teachings of yoga, shamanism, Reiki, and empowered coaching for a full body, mind, and transformation. So how do you know if this program is for you? You might be a yoga teacher, a mind-body healer, a therapist, or a spiritual teacher, and you feel committed to creating a business with income that supports you. You might be shifting careers and feel ready to move past your limiting beliefs and programs to step powerfully into a service as a spiritual entrepreneur. You want to love yourself, be in your power, align yourself with your purpose, speak your truth, and have actionable steps and goals to create your visions. This program is definitely for you. You can check out the link below in the show notes and check out Nicole's program, Unleash the Priestess Within and Thrive. 
Hope you guys enjoy the show. And yeah, here goes. Alison, where are you coming in? We're calling in from, I should say. I'm calling in from Brisbane, Australia. Oh, whoa, you're way far. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the future as I sit in San Francisco. That's right. I'm on Tuesday morning and I think you're on Monday evening. I can tell yeah, I'm you. Like, I'm Monday afternoon. How's Tuesday going? <laughs> Tuesday's going well. I had to get up super early. <laughs> so, so, so you're a writer over at Shut Up and Yoga and you they save the best for last. You are the last of the summer series. Wow. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> But I've got to talk to some really amazing people on there. I talked to Garrett and I, I honestly, I, I shouldn't even just name everybody because everyone that I spoke to has been really super awesome and cool. Like really, really, really amazing and cool. How long have you been with the publication for? Well, I think that I started talking to the gang there last year and we've been developing ideas since there and chatting and they are awesome they're absolutely my favorite writers collective and I've been a writer most of my life and I think what they're doing is incredible they're really challenging some of the some of the areas of modern yoga and meditation and personal growth that need a good kick up the ass you mean like writing things like your five tips to best abs isn't good yoga writing well, it depends what you're looking for. <laughs> it depends on what you're looking for. <laughs> I mean, I'm over that shit. It's so awful. It's like, yeah. why are we? Why are we still doing this? Like, who is this helping, really? Yeah, it's got to be. I think there's a mixture going on of lazy journalism. It's just as easy. It's whatever you know. It's just bubble gum, isn't it, for the mind? And it's what happens in advertising. It what happens is happening everywhere, and it's just filtered its way into um, writing about yoga, and then. Secondly, I think it's it takes a risk sometimes to write about the more controversial aspects, but they are meaningful. They're controversial for a reason. And what I love about this writers' collective is people are pretty bold and brave about using their voice and giving a voice to people who haven't haven't yet got that confidence, but who are experiencing things in our yoga world which are actually harmful and injurious, and that we you know we don't want there. I don't think because. Yoga is such an important, meaningful, and beautiful practice on so many levels. So it's important to, 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 to be aware of where it can go wrong and like everything, like every part of life where mm. things can come up that, you know, we need to heal in this community. Yeah, I think there's a, there's so many aspects to it. There's so many things that you well, there's so many tools and techniques of of yoga. I've, I feel like I said this recently on the show, but maybe I didn't. You know, we we forgot that the asana, the pranayama, and the meditation those are all just tools of yoga. They're not just yoga themselves. I think people forget that. There's a lot more than just one thing. Absolutely. I mean, at the foundation, yoga is the biggest thing of all, which is the way of meeting our lives and meeting the life outside of us it's a way of being in that relationship we're in with the inner and outer and with each other and our planet all the time and as you say there are so many wonderful ways in which we can max the juice out of that but mm. it needs to be healthy and helpful totally. and we need to be aware it's it's about awareness practices so we need to be aware so you're big on meditation and I, I we, you know, we kind of started talking about this before we, we got into the show, but I'd, I'd love to start to dive into the meditation practice that you're in and, the, and what you teach and what you, um, yeah, how you share that. Okay, great. Well, 
I have been lucky all my life. I developed my own meditation journey, my own practice, and many of us do actually. And secretly, <laughs> all around the world, people are in their own natural practices. They've never been to a class or seen a coach mm -hmm. or listened to a guided meditation, and their bodies are intuitively and innately giving them wonderful meditation experiences. And so, I didn't know another way. As a child, I loved being in my own world, as I would have put it then. Um, and I learned how useful that was to me and helpful to me. So life taught me. I mean, the gods taught me. <laughs> um, and I was enjoying that kind of meditation practice. I didn't. I developed it for myself as I as I um, went through my life. This natural, instinctive varied meditation, lots of different gateways, lots of different juicy moments with myself, mm -hmm. getting all the benefits, rest, relaxation, restoration, and other things, creativity, intuition, all the beautiful benefits of meditation. And then it wasn't until I really started to rub up against a couple of things. One was my own um, experience of doing the work and healing from depression and anxiety and the other was coming to yoga when I realized that there are more there are particular techniques and formal ways of teaching meditation that people take as the one and only technique the one and only meditation style which is basically I suppose in a nutshell that you sit down you shut up and you sit still you clear your mind you watch your breath and you kind of exit life for a while, get into this chill place and return and, and get on with your life. I think that's a, a vision that a lot of people have of meditation. I think a lot of people try to do that. And what I found problematic about that when I was first introduced to the idea of doing a formal practice, you know, in, in therapy and so on for anxiety was I found it very hard. I found I couldn't do it. Mm. I became ashamed. I felt ashamed that I couldn't do it. I felt like this is just another thing that's not working for me. I already had a lot of self-talk that was telling me I wasn't doing things the way other humans managed to do them. Um, you know, that feeling you can get where everyone's doing it better, everyone's got it together, you haven't. And also that, you know, I was trying in good faith to try a technique that I was assured would be very helpful. And I was relying on that. I came pretty desperate to find things that would be helpful. I'd been on this journey for a long time. And I did not, I found the opposite. I found that I was really fighting myself um, and, and sort of shaming and punishing myself on the inside while trying to, to clear my mind, while trying to not feel anxious and restless. And then when I came so I abandoned that technique and I began to go back to some of the more natural techniques that I had um, developed intuitively before that and that, that paired better with what I was learning in my own healing journey from on a health, mental health and physical health point of view because I also have MS. Um, and then when I came into yoga, I found these were the sort of general techniques that were being taught in class. You know, yoga is ceasing the fluctuations of the mind. We need to have stillness. Um, it's a problem that we think. It's a problem when our minds wander. It's a problem when we itch that scratch. It's a problem when we are too engaged with ourselves. Life is a problem. Life is a distraction. Everything's, you know, gone to shit. And, <laughs> and this yeah. is not a happy way to meditate, really. Um, 
and then um, I thought, well, I, you know, I what, what when uh, we um, I'll get back to this, but but one of the, uh, the 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 main teachers who's been a big influence in my life and one of the main developers of instinctive meditation, Lauren Roche, um, he talks a lot about the inner rebel that the it, the meditator's best friend is their rebellion that they can sit in a class and hear these scripts and still do their own thing, still let themselves have their natural journey, not impose upon their natural rhythms, their natural pranic life force Mm. um and so luckily i'm like brilliant brilliant on being the rebel in any case so i would i would be there and hear these things saying you know don't think about the past don't think about the future if you find your mind wandering you know bring yourself back to where you are now which you know very often was well always with us in class we're sitting on a piece of oblong rubber in a room with other people trying not to let their minds wander where when my let my mind wander and my, my mind body system expand, it was journeying to some really lovely places like, wow, I came to yoga. What a great class this has been. Wow. My body feels good. After this, I'm going to get a juice. I love juice. Then I'm going to go home and write that blog. I had an idea for, you know, when we were in warrior two or whatever, which is counter to the way we're taught, but these aren't distractions. These are the, the, these is a union. This is me connecting with my body. And so, um, it was, it wasn't really on my mind to, um, get as engaged as I did with teaching meditation. But when I was teaching yoga myself as a yoga teacher, I, I taught the way that was natural to me and I found that people loved it. And then around that time, I was lucky enough to meet Lauren Roche, who is the author of the Radiant Sutras, a translation of the Vinyara Bharava Tantra. Right now, I'm looking mm, at it right really in front great. of my face. <laughs> miraculous, miraculous um, piece of work, which we can talk about. And, you know, he was speaking the same language that when we um, develop skills to recognize our own natural gateways to meditation, what our own natural, healthy, life giving things in our lives and that we can give to our inner lives are and how to collaborate with what is happening in meditation because a lot of things happen in meditation that are meant to be there then we are finding ways to meditate that are satisfying and healthy and help to support this life of love and engagement with the world that most of us are here to do most of us are on a path of engagement aren't we danny we have engagement with life with people with work with nature, with our dreams, with our spiritual, whatever, you know, spiritually coming to us and with ourselves. And, you know, we're on a, a what um, Lauren Roche calls the path of intimacy, mm-hmm. the path of intimate relationship, this yoga, this union. Um, and we have a lot to show up for in life, a right. lot. And we right. want to show up resilient and enthusiastic and what we need in our inner practices is somewhere to cultivate that, not to avoid it or abandon it as if we're ashamed or afraid of life. Because then we're just coming back with those, what we've cultivated in meditation, we're bringing that, we live on, you know, we carry this inside of us, this inner sanctuary, our inner world with us all the time. And if that's where we're going to cultivate practices of either shame or self-abandonment, then that's how we're going to show up to meet everything that we have to in the life outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It's, it's funny. A couple of things that you, when you, when you said, like when people try to go in and quiet the mind, like it's impossible to stop thinking. You actually shouldn't stop thinking. 
It's impossible until you're brain dead, which yeah. you know, one would hope <laughs> is yeah. what you go to meditation to achieve. I think we've been traumatized against thinking. I think a lot of the scripts, I mean, we have to understand where a lot of this language comes from. I think it makes more sense when we understand how our main meditation traditions have come through to the Western world. For, mm. you know, for one thing, we can assume that people have been meditating naturally, intuitively since the very beginning of time, that our ancestors would have instinctively meditated. And why we can assume this is because um, we know that we have a natural inner healing and repair system as part of our nervous system we have parasympathetic sure. so we have an action phase but we must also use the parasympathetic phase the rest and digest the tendon defend to look after everything that's happened in the action phase so we can clear a backlog of stress of wear and tear and get nice and strong and rested and prepped for going back out into life now our ancestors had much more stressful lives than we did i mean keeping a right. planet going without Google Maps and all the other helpful little apps we have and those helpful things you were talking about, about how to get great abs in five yoga poses, you know, there, there was, none, totally there was none of that around. You just, yeah. <laughs> you had to work with your instincts. You had to work with your intuition. So, um, you know, we, I like to think of our ancestors in that little downtime they had as being very, very skilled at getting those wonderful quick meditative rests, you know, surrounded by nature, gazing at the moon, the stars, um, looking at, into the eyes of their babies and so on those moments would have been very deep and meaningful for right, them. Right. There's this really good, um, there's this good book out there called, um, Oh my gosh, I'm looking and let's see if it's in my library. Some, there it is. It's sky above earth below. And the book is pretty much is that same thing about it's, it's coming back to nature and it's coming back to connection. It's coming away and pulling away from all the distractions mm -hmm. and just being exactly as you are, you know, it's connecting with the world around you in the moment, not just like, you know, like you said, like being in, you know, in the modern day world where we're distracted by everything. <laughs> I'd love to speak to distraction in a minute, though, because I think that's another that's another word that we can we can get more comfortable with the idea okay. of distraction. Yeah. But I was I'd love to speak to that, but um, it's so fascinating to explore and important. But how meditation kind of came through yoga and also through Tibetan Buddhism, we know came more through the monastic the monastic um, tradition. So we have these monks living thousands of years ago who were wise wonderful people, but they were men who were celibate, who had chosen to renounce their possessions, mm -hmm. say goodbye to their families forever, change their name, um, and not have a job, not have sex, not be interested in their appetites, their desires. In fact, the opposite. They had such a single-pointed focus um, that they needed to have practices that would disengage them from temptation and from life. So you can imagine that these monks were in their monasteries, for example, they might be up on a mountain on a hill, down below in the village, people are making love, they're feasting, they're dancing, you know, they're energized by life. That These celibate men have made vows, they've made 
really serious vows that they will not engage with the world, that they will leave the world, they'll detach from it, they'll transcend it, and their bodies, everything. And so these practices are all about that. They're all about every that stuff's a distraction, right? Using the word distraction. And they can't have that. They can't have a bar of that. And we don't even know if they were successful right. at this or whether this was healthy. Right. But what people saw when this came through to us in the West kind of end of the 19th century, when we were getting mobile and hearing from other cultures here in, here in the West, was people saw people who seemed very chill and very calm and, and you know, people have a desire, people have almost an addiction, don't they, to calmness and inner peace. And so it was like, we want a little bit of that. We want to feel that. Tell us what you do. And so these men came teaching what they knew and what they knew to work for them. But these practices were never made. They were never designed by or for, for example, a a female, you know, a woman who is in the world um, running a household, running a family, perhaps um, doing a full-time job, you know, going, trying to make sure she's got, you know, everything, all everything going on and enjoying herself and getting things done and appreciating and cherishing every moment of that. So in instinctive meditation, we say that nothing is a distraction. Got it. And you'd have to understand, we have to understand why that is so precious and important to the rhythms of your meditative experience. Because if we come into meditation thinking, we're getting away from something, we can say we're finding space, time and space, or we're taking a break from the emergency button, you know, the adrenaline phase of our lives. But to say we're not bringing life, not bringing prana, not bringing life force, not bringing our lives into our inner world practices means that we are editing, filtering, deleting, using some kind of internal management system, which is exactly missing the opportunity to let go of that need to control and manage, which so often builds anxiety, more stress, more failure. So if I go into life and think, well, I don't want to think about for a while, I just don't want to think about that I need to go to the supermarket later right. or, you know, I, uh, or that yesterday I had that difficult conversation with, you know, my boss or my friend, sure. then you know, dollars to donuts. I'm going to sit down, quiet down, find my nice space, think, oh, so lovely to relax, put my lovely music on, light a candle, get delicious with my breath. And I'm already now entering a beautiful gateway to meditation because I love the idea of just taking that little break. Mm. What's going to come up first? What are the first thoughts that are going to spring to mind? (laughs) The first thoughts with their painful charge are going to be those things because they are craving the some kind of internal processing they're coming up not because they're a distraction but because they haven't been fully processed so this is the place where i can i can cultivate some really really skillful self loving self caring and life cherishing practice can't i because i can embrace everything that comes and the key and a difficult thing for a lot of people but once you you just keep going there and doing it is to welcome everything that comes to you, every single rhythm that comes to you in meditation as part of your meditation. Mm. That trip I need to make to the supermarket later is because I have an instinct to hunt and gather as a human being because I have 
the people I love who I'm going to cook for mm-hmm. because I have nourishment I'm going to give my body. I might even meet people I know in the supermarket and have a great chat with them. That supermarket's not my enemy. I, that's not a trivial thing in my life. Cooking is the that, enemy. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, right, you and me both, but I'm learning to <laughs> learning to. Re- I mean, I'm, I'm changing my approach to that, actually, the more I <laughs> – you see, you can learn to fall in love with the parts of your life you don't love. That That is something – that you can cultivate, and I'm with you on that. And there are so I have a list of things I don't love that I I believe and trust I can fall in love with because it's already happened to right, me. Right, right, totally. On some other thing, totally. You know? I've got to run the same um, page though. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, exactly. But you know what? I also have a husband who loves cooking, so I'm I'm good. <laughs> I've, I've but you a, know what? I've got a cactus. Uh, it doesn't cook. <laughs> you know, but no, thank God for microwave ovens and ready meals. You know, thank God for you guys have Trader Joe's and all these super places. But, you know, there, there are so many things to be grateful for that we, we get ungrateful for. And this is an important point because any of us, and I, I don't, I know a lot of us are in this situation who've had a friend who has or, or a family member who has passed. That when that happens, we remember how every tiny mite, every moat, of life mm. is so cherishable and lovable. And a few years ago, I lost my very best, closest friend, Rebecca, mm-hmm. to cancer. And I had the privilege of spending, she knew she only had um, a while to live. And I had a priv- the privilege of, I flew back t- to England where I, I'm from and spent time with her. And she said to me, you know, Ali, all the things that I thought were really super important, I mean, they're not as important as these really tiny things like like cooking, which mm. I hated. Right. Like right. you know, when all the kids rush home from school and you know, all these things, I would give anything to keep having these things. And sometimes we get tired and we get burned out and we get life weary and we do fall out of love with things that are not there to harm us. Mm. They're really great things. And if we go into a practice where we're saying, I don't like this and I don't like that. And I'm only going to think about the things I'm going to filter and edit and modify till I get to the things I do like. We're not in an expansive place. We're in a contracting place. We're forgetting the power of love. And when we come into and respecting the power of love, and if we can make our inner space and meditation a sanctuary where we welcome everything and we contend to all those parts of ourselves, that are yearning and craving, including the hurt parts of ourselves, to be heard and seen and given something, the light of our attention, a chance to be there and be felt. We are collaborating with a natural process that we are wired to have, which is the, the rest, repair, review, rehearse, rhythms of meditation and of natural rest. This, starts, this stuff happens while we're sleeping and we're unconscious. But the joy of meditation is we get to be awake while we're experiencing mm. these impulses and energies doing their processing. And that's why, and science, robust science shows us this, in meditation, we experience a rest that is deeper than sleep, you know, in 20 minutes of meditation. But you can do that without m- trying to make it happen. Right. It's, more, it's more about allowing what's happening to happen. Mm. And there are skills we can bring to that to make that easier for ourselves, to make that a more um, welcome proposition than it than it can be. You know, we're really making space for the life force to 
you know, so we can get plump with prana on the inside. We're making space for that rather than putting it on one side for a while. Because those very things that we are resting, recovering, and repairing and processing are also the things that will tune us up and nourish us up for the next action phase Mm. of our lives. Keeping us going. It's remembering to keep the system not only reboot, but tuned in. Exactly. And so while I understand some of this language, you know, that we use in meditation, some of it's quite discouraging because if we say, look, I want to get away from all the distractions. Well, I understand that craving, you know, everybody human has that craving. I just want to be able to breathe and think from, you know, with myself for five minutes without life kind of grabbing me and needing me, you know, all this output, we certainly need to gather in our energies. But once you've decided that you're going to take that time, you've really shown up, you've really done the main work, which is coming off the emergency button. The problem that most of us have, I think, I, 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 I believe, is that the emergency button is so compelling. And when I say the emergency button, I just mean the stress state, the adrenaline state, the state that we need to have to get out there and, and act. But it's being able to down tools, you know, every now and again, to, for five minutes or a few minutes or at the end of the day just say you know I run my own business like you do and you know at what point do we say I'm actually home now with myself with my my cactus you know as you say with my loved one with my plants <laughs> with my pets with, with nature with whoever with God you know yeah. and I want to be I want to be there I want to fully land there um and the collaboration comes when we decide it's okay to you know, I'm at work, but it's okay to take my eyes off the screen and gaze out the window. It's okay for me now to take my lunch break and take my sandwich away from my desk and sit outside on a patch of grass. Or You know, it, 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 what's compelling is that this need to go on and on and on and on, as we know, is so hardwired into our survival that we have to get really conscious and aware and say, but now I'm going to take some me time or some time with the gods or some time with my memories. And this is where we get tuned into it doesn't really matter whether what you're spending time with is in your actual present. It could be a fantasy. Mm-hmm. It could be something you're projecting. You know, I want to imagine I'm winning the Oscars, you know, like <laughs> because that makes, gives me a good feeling. Yeah. My nervous system starts feeling, you know, we're, we're educating, we're giving our system some nourishment. We're giving it something it wants to be with for a hangout with for a while. Wow. That's what a gateway is. So I'm going to have a fantasy about X, Y, Z, or it could be I'm going to remember that time um, and memories are very healing. I'm going to remember that time, you know, when I had the best day of my life with so-and-so. And that brings up all these beautiful energies of love, cherishing, perhaps thrill, perhaps excitement, perhaps pleasure, words that aren't spoken about much in, in our traditional meditation world, but they're juicy, they're life-affirming, and we know our nervous system loves them and uses them to let go, release, unblock, get that energetic cycle going on the inside, which is like your yoga asana practice mm-hmm. on the inside, but but non-physical. It's energetic. You're going through the poses, you know, um, but they're the poses of life and life force, and you're feeling them touch you on the inside. And, and letting go into that is deeply, deeply healing, renewing, and relaxing for our nervous systems, for our mind-body systems. And we love it because it's fun, right, to be able to 
to be with the places you want to be with. But we have to tolerate the other stuff coming up because it's going to come up because all the hurt places and the unprocessed and undealt with bits that are, you know, that low hum of unease and anxiety that we feel represents, they're going to say, ooh, this is nice. I like this energy. I'm going to come up. I'm going to see now if I get my chance to, you know, to be tended to. And it'll come out of the woodwork and from under the bed where it's been hiding. And this is great. We can be glad. We can say it's okay to feel to feel this tension for a moment. It's okay to have this more difficult memory or this sad thought for a moment. And, of course, what, what we're yogis and meditators, the same, we embody. We feel it in our body. Where is it touching? What are we feeling? What are the emotions and how are they presenting in our bodies? We're not just looping in, in, in little holding patterns in our heads. So well put together, Allison. I, I, I'm just as as I wish you could see me right now because my head the entire time is like yes, uh huh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> well, see, that's what it is. That's what we call the inner yeah. yes. That when you start, it's so interesting as a teacher. But when you start talking to people before, I can I can go into a meditation workshop or class, and I start talking, and they'll say something like. Do you ever have a feel? You know, you're outside and you're walking down the street, and suddenly you, you, you and you feel like something magical is leaning into you, and you look up, and there it is. It's the full moon, and it's so captivating. You just forget everything you were thinking about in that moment, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And you just melt, and you're gazing at it, and you lose touch with time and space. And I'm when I'm speaking like that, I'm beginning to introduce the idea of natural gateways and that meditative moments are happening all the time and during that time our mind body system's getting this rest and repair and and these other benefits but as i start talking you can see people begin to melt and their faces their very aura changes you know cheeks become pinker eyes become more sparkly some people close their eyes some people do this natural mudra of putting their hands to their hearts and it happens spontaneously, Danny, and it's like you said, nodding your head with yes, which is a mudra, right? Like the yes, mm-hmm. the yeah. damn yes, the yeah. right, yeah, hell yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, the arm of life, <laughs> um, amen. And so, you know, it's that familiar feeling. We know it. We have it. It's in us. So when we're looking for some kind of more formal meditation practice, that is the response we're looking for, the inner yes. This is mine. It belongs to me intimately and individually. This is not about a a monk's body that's being imposed in my body. You know, this is because if we impose something onto our body and a technique that's not meant for us or has been developed by someone for a different reason, it's toxic, isn't it? It's injurious. Yeah, 100%. We're drinking a kind yeah, of you're forcing something in that doesn't fit. And it happens all the time, all the time. I've had people, I have a, I, you know, I, I've met over the years, like seven or eight years, I've been mentoring hundreds of people. I hear again and again people talking with a voice of sadness, shame, and injury from, from, from like I was sitting in meditation and I didn't drop in, or I was sitting in meditation and I couldn't stop feeling restless. I couldn't sit still as if these are bad things and being restless isn't a crime. That means you need to, you know, the simple thing I'm like, well, why didn't you move? You know, what movement was being called for? Because that's your body giving you this incredible opportunity. It's talking to you directly. And the more we can respond, we know that to our bodies talking directly, the less likely we are to have these 
um, the health problems that come up for us physically and mentally and, you know, spiritually, because we're kind of forcing ourselves to do things which are not natural to us as individuals, as humans. I mean, you said, you know, try and stop your, if you want to suffer in meditation, tell yourself not to have thoughts. That is inducing artificial suffering. You say, if you want to go into meditation and say, I want to suffer, I'm going to tell myself not to have thoughts or daydreams or move or, you know, think about the past when a memory comes up or think about the present when I get excited about seeing, you know, my best friend tonight and having that margarita, you know, like this isn't natural. It's not natural to pin ourselves into a little cage, a little box and say, no, all you're going to think about right now you know, in fact, you're not even going to feel your breath. You're going <laughs> to watch your breath, nothing. notice your breath, <laughs> yeah. clinically witness your breath as if your breath was something. It's not even your breath. It's the breath. It's so far away from you. It doesn't, it's not meaningful. You know, that's, that's actually, I think, kind of adding to wounds that a lot of people already have where they're abandoning themselves. They're ashamed of parts of themselves they're trying to manage a very busy life that is not distractions. It is a rich life for which we are integrally well-built. We're well-built. If we are built to keep the human race surviving like our ancestors mm-hmm. did in very dangerous times, we can manage to cross the road. And if we can manage to cross the road, look at our phones and think about what we're going to have for dinner at the same time and get across safely, which we don't always, <laughs> it's marginal, we mainly do, um, then we can have lots of, we can have, our attention can be in many places at once. And our attention is always in many places at once. And, and how we can make that comfortable is by choosing um, to welcome what comes and choosing what we do want to be with. So, you know, it is lovely to choose a gateway that we can keep coming back to in meditation. That is a nice technique. It is one technique, and it's a nice technique if used skillfully, which means you don't anchor or force yourself to being with this thing, but you use it as an entry point. Like, what do I want to think about right now? What do I love? What I what would I love to hang out with for a while? You know, what would make my what's my body need? What would it what's it craving? What's it desiring to feel right now? And what you know, so I might say, well, I want to feel space. I haven't felt any. You know, I haven't had a moment to myself. I want to feel spacious. And I can immediately. I love space, right? So I can immediately think of spacious places I've been to. You know, deserted beaches. Um, lying as a child spread out on the grass, nothing to do, no job to go to, gazing at the clouds, watching them make shapes. You know, we can recollect times and feelings of spaciousness. And as we do that, our body begins to relax and unwind. And then it starts to um, let go of tension. And as it releases tension, we begin to feel all the tension that's been building up as a backlog. And instead of saying, oh, no, I'm not relaxing anymore, we go, I'm going to feel that. That's fine. I'm feeling it here. I'm feeling it in my chest or my throat. I'll send some breath there. And then, you know, this is how we let things shift and move. We, 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 we cease to resist these things, which is resisting is, is being tense and rigid. And, 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 and you know, it is, isn't it? It's a feeling. Resisting is a feeling. Of, oh, I don't like it. I'm all tight. And being able to say, you know what? This, I know this is, this is my space. This is my time. And whatever comes up is coming up because it needs to. And it needs, what does it need? What can I give it? And does it need to move? Maybe I do need to sway, wiggle, 
you know, take a hike with it, dance with it. You know, we, we are brilliant, wise individuals full of instincts there to help us be more ourselves. <laughs> and so what a great opportunity. Yeah, permission to, to give ourselves space to, and time to heal and also to give ourselves a little bit of a break so that we don't have to feel the pressure of, you know, you have to do things a certain way or da 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 da, da but really tap into, like you just said, intuition. It's it's pretty it's pretty awesome and it's even more awesome to hear, hear your passion behind it it's it's so freaking cool Alice, and it's it's amazing you know it's because i i know it i know it works i know it's so welcome and i hear these beautiful brilliant stories from people and i'm just sharing one i i i keep thinking about um and he won't mind me mentioning his name arch i love talking about arch's experience arch was um in a, class, a, a course I was running um, for a while a few weeks ago, and he'd shared with us that um, as, a, as, a, as a boy, as, a, as he was growing up into being a man, he was shamed about much of his emotional life. He was told on his just before his 10th birthday that when he was 10, he wouldn't be allowed to cry anymore because 10-year-old boys don't cry. He was talking about how devastating that had been to him. He hadn't realized there was an age at which you came that this was something you had to do. It confused him. And he talked a lot about grow, um, then growing up with anger, like feelings of anger as an alternative way of releasing emotion because he'd been one of his main natural outlets had been shamed and deemed as unwanted. When we know, you know, we know what that feels like when we're when we're told these sorts of, 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 of dangerous things, even out of out of you know good intention. So he'd, he'd been speaking to that, and then we'd been um, talking about micro meditation and kind of using those moments where we intuitively want to enter enter that space that we talk, you know intuitively want to kind of melt into another space and look at, and how those can come up. And he said that he had begun to do things differently and that normally when he's driving a car, when he's driving to work, he gets road rage and he gets really, really angry. And there was a particular place where there's always a snarl up and a traffic jam that would just fill him with rage and he could feel himself getting angrier and angrier and about everything and everyone. And he said since doing these practices, these different practices and approaching things a different way and being able to, you know, and since being able to understand more things emotionally, he found this happened to him spontaneously, that he was driving to work, he got stuck at this same snarl-up place, and he found he had sort of um, found himself beginning to get angry, but then he heard a voice saying, Arch, what are you doing? And he sort of, he never heard that voice before, and he went, um, hey, hello, who are you? What's happening? There's a voice from inside him, and it went, Arch, why are you angry? And it was the first time he sort of really sat there thinking, why am I getting angry? And then the voice said, Arch, why don't you use this time for something else? So he said he used that time when he was going to be stuck there for a while to, um, to, to start to meditate, um, just to be with himself, to take some breaths, to you know, do some of his relaxation um, techniques that he knew worked for him. And then as he did that, a voice said again, it just rose up in him and it said, Arch, isn't it time you began to forgive yourself? And it just came out of the blue. Isn't it time you began to forgive yourself? And he said he became really emotional just hearing that voice. And he realized in that moment that as hard as he is on everyone else, he said, I've been the hardest on myself. I've been harder on myself than I could be on anyone else. And um, that breaking through, Danny, that broke through because he was in a natural meditation that his body 
gave him, made the space, for him, the permission that he yeah, responded yeah. to. That rose up. So people get this this inner meditation, these in this inner healing, and they start to invent their own meditations. And I have the absolute privilege of hearing from people who who these natural meditations come to them, they become part of their lives, and they realize how wonderful they are for them. So they continue to meditate in this more gracious, generous, and spacious, kind way. And it has su- you can imagine how life-changing that is for you when you go back into life. Suddenly those red traffic lights aren't a source of anger. They're like, I want you to stay red forever. I want, you know, I can use this time, you know. We're learning how to give ourselves those this spacious way of seeing a life that sometimes feels like it's coming at us, like 747's looking for landing space. We're learning more that we are walking hand in hand with this life and we can, you know, we can breathe with the belly of the earth and we can breathe, we can inhale the stars. We can be with everything as it's happening to us um, in a way that is actually making us more human and making us more ourselves and feels good to us and helpful and Mm. useful because, you know, our individuality is so important, so important. Alison, I can't thank you enough. So like just for coming on and and sharing all of your wisdom, but more importantly, your passion on this stuff and, and reminder to give us space and time and to trust our intuitions. And yeah, I just so appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. Obviously, it's been a joy. It's been it's been really fun. Oh, you, lo- you. you love it, and you can tell, and that's amazing. Until the next Yogi Misfit session, this is Danny and Allison saying peace out. Bye. So that's it. That's our official sign off for the Yogi Misfit Sessions and Shut Up and Yoga Summer Series collab. It was so much fun to get to know all these people. Thank you guys so, so much for all the love and for the connection. And we'll see what other fun stuff we come up with next year together. Um, Yeah. Until the next Yogi Misfit Sessions, this is Danny Solo saying peace out from the peace out. Peace out.